Hello, and welcome to the Landis Cooperative Experience podcast featuring the bull bear banter. We all know that markets often behave in a way that can't easily be explained. The bull bear banter is our best effort to digest the noise of the marketplace. So thank you for joining us. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the markets. Hi, this is Cheyenne Dunham, and I want to welcome you to the January 3rd episode of the Bull Bear Banter. Tom is not in the office today. He took an impromptu trip earlier this week to Salt Lake City, Utah to welcome grandchild number six into the world. So we want to congratulate Tom and his family and wish him safe travels coming back here to Iowa. So I don't have a lot of bull bear factors to talk about today. I do have some key reports that we can talk about a little bit, some potential news information to explain some market movement. We also have a special guest segment with one of our producers to discuss his opinion and experience with our averaging contract. And then to wrap everything up, we do have a question that we received from one of our listeners. So I'm going to address that, go into a little bit of detail there. So with that, let's go on to the market closes for today. March corn closed down five cents at 386.5, and and that was down three and a half cents for the week. December corn closed down three and three quarters cent at four and three quarters, which was down two and three quarters cent for the week. Looking at soybeans, March closed down 14 and three quarters cent at 941 and a half, but that was unchanged from last Friday's close. November soybeans closed down nine and a quarter cent at 971 and a half, and that was actually up about two cents from last Friday's close. So I think the biggest contributors for today's downward pressure that we saw were the political unknowns in the Middle East after last night's events, and also potentially some rumblings about China and this phase one deal maybe being further away from a signing than we had originally hoped, but we didn't actually have any wires come out addressing specifics for this information. For ethanol production this week, it was down for the week on week by 17,000 barrels per day. Stocks were also down They came in at 21 million barrels, which is down about 435,000 for the week on week. Looking at export sales, corn came in 15% lower for the week on week, and that came in at 531,000 metric tons. For soybeans, export sales also came in below trade expectations at 330,000 metric tons. We did see the November soy crush report, and that came in at 174 million bushels which was down a little over 6.5% from October and down just under 2% for the year-on-year. So again, really no big report releases to contribute to this really strong down day that we had. I think the combination of it being a holiday week, again, trade was broken up throughout the week, a little abnormal compared to what we normally trade. And then, you know, again, these political rumblings, we're just not really sure where it's going to go from here. And it's not uncommon for funds to get out of the market ahead of a weekend. You know, everyone wants to go home and kind of pick it back up on Monday. So I think it's important not to lose sight of the end goal here, whether you're looking at pricing some old crop stuff or new crop that you have coming up. Just because we had such a strong down day here, we shouldn't let it undo the progress that we've made these last few weeks. And I think with that, this is a great opportunity to talk about maybe marketing some of your new crops. So we're going to go on and bring in our averaging contract expert here and have him give us a little bit of his opinion on it. So we've talked multiple times about the averaging contract as one of our marketing alternatives. And I think we've maybe explained it a little bit, but you know, it's one thing to hear it from us here on the marketing side. So we brought someone in today who actually has some experience on the other end of our averaging contract program. So we're here today with Dick Bloomgren. 
He's a customer out of the Boone area. Yep, that's right. And um, Dick, do you want to just maybe tell us a little bit about you or your operation, and then we'll kind of go into the averaging contract side of it? We have a family farm, and my nephew and I actually do all of the uh, row crop production now, and my other nephew takes care of the seed business. Okay, and you've been a supporter of the averaging contract here for a while now? I couldn't tell you exactly how long, but a number of years, long enough to know that it has worked for me on my corn averaging contracts every year so far. Great. And um, we're also here with Janet Smith. So she is the grain marketing advisor for Boone area, works with Dick on this, has had experience marketing the averaging contract to our customers and incorporating it into their marketing plans. And Janet, um, you know, our dates kind of change a little bit year to year on the averaging contract. You have that information there you could share with us? Yep. So on the corn averaging contract, it is from March 16th through July 10th. So we went a little bit longer this year past the 4th of July. Usually we have it end at the beginning of July. Last year, because the rally lasted a little bit longer, we extended this a little bit longer. So it's over July 10th this year. And this this one, it's it's 5,000 bushel increments on corn. We sell a percentage of your bushels every day at the close using the futures price. Yeah, the December corn futures. So, And if you don't have enough, like if Dick and his nephew both said, hey, we want to do 5,000, you know, we'll let a father, son, an uncle, a nephew do 2,500 apiece, as long as the total is 5,000 bushels. Good, helpful there. Now, Dick, what percentage of your production would you say you put into the averaging contract for your corn? We only put 10 to 25% of our production. 10 is probably the least, and 25 would be the most. Uh, what we hope for is that the averaging contract on our corn contracts are actually our poorest sale. It works a little better. Eight out of 10 years, the averaging contract has beat the fall price but we hope that we can beat the average every time we sell one of ours. And, and that's the way it has worked in the past. But the nice part about the averaging contracts is first, it's easy. We don't have to watch the markets. We know a certain percentage is sold and we sell it early enough that we don't have to worry about those bushels to begin with. So we know something is sold, at least we pulled the trigger on something. We also don't have storage in those bushels, which is probably the biggest part. You also don't have the drying to go down that extra point to get to storage. And so uh, we do like the average contracts for a certain number of bushels. Right. Now, it's always nice, you know, to know that some of those bushels that are going to have to come into the elevator have a home, not having to think about what you're going to do with them, especially not while you're out in the combine trying to focus on getting the crop in. So definitely like that option for it. And I mean, is there anything, you know, we have some guys that are just starting out wanting to try this program and everything. Um, you know, you made a good point. It's hands-free, you don't have to worry about it, anything like that. Is that what initially drew you to doing the averaging contract? We would not pull the trigger soon enough a lot of times. I went to a meeting years ago and said 18 out of 21 years, if you pre-sell, you're going to make more money. So that told me in the averaging contracts, when they come out, they said 8 out of 10 years, that's 80% of the time it returns more than if you sold it in the fall. So doesn't that make sense to use some of your bushels? to at least the averaging contract, unless you're really a disciplined marketer and you watch the markets all day long and want to continue to worry about selling every bushel. But we use this as a beginning of our, usually our sales is the averaging contract. And it's not our highs, but 
it always beats, for us anyway, is always beat the fall price when the time got there. And then we didn't have storage in the bushels. Yeah, I think you had a couple of good points there. It's usually higher than the price when it comes in in the fall. And, you know, usually you don't pre-sell enough ahead of time. Like, it's hard to see a price and think, well, it's going to go up tomorrow and everything. And that probably holds people back from making those sales. The averaging contract, it gets marketed automatically. You don't call in and say, no, I don't want to sell today because it's going to go up more tomorrow. It takes that decision making off of your plate for it. And also it it, uh, stops. We use a brokerage account also. And... You don't have the fees that are as high and the trades and you have to watch it every day and I don't get those red margin called letters either. Now it's not completely hands-free the averaging contract you still have to do something with it which is setting your basis. The averaging contract pricing mechanism determines what your futures are going to be but you still have a little bit of say in your cash price side of it. Um, when would you say do you prefer to set the basis? I know some people just want to lock it in ahead of time so they don't have to worry about it. Some like to wait into the fall to see if you know harvest gets stretched out or yields aren't looking good. Something like that could affect it. Only when it's the tightest do I sell them take care of the basis. Good, good insight there. That would be sure. when our marketing advisor, Janet Smith, calls me and tells me that it's the best and I'm supposed to take that. Yeah, and the nice thing there, the futures can move, I mean, leaps and bounds even with corn it takes a while to get it you know but you can talk about 60 80 cent swings in corn throughout your marketing year for that opportunity basis side you might be stressing over five to ten maybe 15 cents it's not as big of a swing in your final price it's not the largest but every penny counts especially in these conditions that we are in marketing now but we can also roll that ahead if you want to do something with maybe averaging out a little bit better and a few pennies. It's not going to make you dollars, but it's going to make you a few cents on the bushels. Yeah. And talking about pennies and dollars and all that, you mentioned you work with a with a broker on that. Um, the averaging contract is also a really low cost marketing program. It's a four cent fee, which is well under what a lot of people charge for those specialty marketing programs, the ones where the broker is making the marketing decisions of when to sell or not. I mean, those can often be upwards of eight, 10, 12 cents. So low cost option to try it out, see if you like it. You're not out a lot of money right ahead of time there. And it's not an upfront fee. Yeah. It's settled on the backside. Yeah. Definitely another thing we like on that and I mean, it's just it's just a good program, like you said, to get started. Put some bushels in it. Um, 10%'s great. 25%'s great. I, we really don't encourage anyone to do over a third of their production in one particular program or another. So I think you're right in line there with what you should be doing on it. For those who won't sell in advance and need something disciplined to do it, this is a nice, easy way to go ahead and sell some of your bushels. Well, Janet, I mean, again, you've been doing the averaging contract for a while. Dick has a great insight on why it's a good program. Why do you feel it's a good program for customers to use? Just like Dick said, though, it helps take that indecisiveness out of your hands. You know, you hear sometimes corn's going to $4, corn's going to $5. And at least with this averaging contract, no matter what, every day something's getting sold. And it's not as emotional as it is making your own sales. So... That's why. And it's like, it's a law of averages. It's like not every day you're going to make the best sale, but you're not going to make the worst sale. So an averaging contract, it's a law of averages. You know, we've got 10 years worth of chart data that says when the highs are. So, and usually this, this time is when it is. 
And if you only do 10 to 25% of your corn, you still have, you know, 90, 75 to 90% that you still have to sell. So your challenge as a marketer is to beat the average. So put a small amount into this and then your job as that marketer is to make sure you beat that average. Yeah, I think we were talking about it the other day and the phrase that really stuck out to me when we were talking about the averaging contract is risk management. It is a way to help you, you know, not put all your eggs in one basket, not wait until you bring stuff in in the fall to find a home for it. It's just a good tool to use. So definitely good information there. Marketing is such an emotional issue. And uh, when you go to a marketing meeting, they always say you need to take emotion out of it. Well, who's more emotional than the Chicago Board of Trade? Because they react to everything in the world that happens. And so by doing at least some of this in our marketing plan, we take a lot of that emotion out of it. And it just helps you become a better marketer. Good. I think that's great. And, you know, that's one of our goals here at Landis with our grain marketing advisors. That's why we have them on locations to sit down and talk with customers. I mean... They want to help you find that path and develop that marketing plan. And again, this is a good tool that we're getting more and more interest in it, especially, you know, with going into these maybe flatter prices. I mean, you're not seeing those big swings, those one day opportunities to lock in huge margins there and everything. So good tool. Again, taking the motion out of it. You know, the decision is is off your plate. The only decisions you have to make are how many bushels you want to sign up and when to set your basis on it. I think that's all we have for this section of it. Dick, we appreciate you coming over here to sit down and talk about it. I think these are all really good things for some of our new guys to hear or maybe some of our older customers that haven't tried this program yet. So we appreciate your support of this program, and we're glad it's worked out well for you in the past. You're welcome. We really enjoy any time we have the opportunity to bring someone in here to talk on the podcast, whether it's someone who works here at Landis or works somewhere else in the ag industry or if it's one of our customers. So we appreciate anyone who takes the time to listen in and participate in this. If you have someone that you're wanting to hear talk on the podcast or you have a particular topic you want us to cover, make sure to contact us about that and we'll do our best to get something set up for you. So on our what to watch for upcoming events, January 10th WASD comes out next Friday. It's going to be a big one. And this actually relates to that question I mentioned earlier that we received from one of our listeners. So this came to us from Twitter, and this was from kg 4 Sai. His question is, you periodically mention the USDA WASDE report in the Bull Bear Banter podcast. What is it? How often is it released? And does it make a noticeable impact on the market? So let's go back to the first question. What is it? The USDA WASDE stands for the United States Department of Agriculture World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimates Report. So this comes out once a month. It's actually read in Washington, D.C. People go to what's called a lockup, where they leave their cell phones, laptops, iPads, note-taking devices, everything out of the room. And basically, it's just read through. It's a report of all of these different numbers of, of where the USDA is pinning supply and demand in certain countries or certain areas of usage. I know we focus on soybeans and corn here at Landis and on the Bull Bear and Banter, but they cover a lot more outside of that. They talk about wheat, they talk about coarse grains, which includes corn. They go into rice, oil seeds, which is where soybeans fall in, sugar, all your livestock, poultry, dairy, cotton is another one. So basically it's just this compilation of where the Department of Ag is seeing, you know, potential increases in acres, potential yield increases. 
it's not common for them to adjust some of those things. Normally, you know, you wait for the prospective plantings before you see an adjustment in acres, but it all trickles down to their production number. And then they also talk about, again, usage changes they expect to see, whether it's increased feed usage for livestock or ethanol demand, all those changes. So that's what trade is looking for ahead of time. You know, we'll be putting out trade estimates. Production is going to be, you know, as little as this and as most as this. And we're not necessarily looking for official numbers that dispute that. We're looking for numbers that are maybe below expectations or above expectations. That's what's going to be your main market mover. So again, going back to the initial question that was asked, I think we talked a little bit about what it is, how often it's released. It's released once a month at 11 a.m. It's not out on a set day of the month. It's not set out on a set day of the week. So it's usually going to be in that first half of the month, somewhere between the 9th and the 12th. And then the last question, does it have a noticeable impact on the market? And the answer there is it really depends. Normally we know ahead of time, you know, just depending on what month it is, you know, how far along we may be in planting or harvesting or something. You know, if we're just getting started and USDA is not going to have a lot of that information at that point, we don't expect it to be a real market mover. But I think even this past year, we've been surprised before. You know, we're expecting a pretty neutral release and something comes out that surprises us, whether it's they adjust yield when we weren't expecting them to or you know, anything along those lines. If we're not looking for it and it happens, that's what's going to create the market movement. And again, not necessarily having numbers that are maybe the opposite of what trade expected, but maybe they're just more or less movement than what trade expected. Those kind of things are going to contribute to whether or not a report is really going to be considered a market mover. But that being said, you should always prepare for something to happen in the markets on these report days. So it's always good to have those offers in. You watch those 20 to 60 seconds after a report comes out and it can jump all over the place. I mean, it can go from way, way positive to super in the red. So it's always good to have those offers in there. They ping up, it locks you in that price. You're guaranteed that price faster than you can pick up the phone. You know, we say this every time because there's no guarantee that the price that you're looking at is going to be the price it is by the time you get connected with someone and get a bid quoted to you. So again, it's just important have those offers in ahead of these reports. I think we do maybe expect to see a little bit of movement in this report. You know, this 94 million corn acre number is looming over our heads. We could potentially see the USDA maybe address that a little bit in this report. Uh, looking on after this one, we're probably going to be looking into March. Prospective plantings report comes out in March as well. That's going to be another big one. So getting a little ahead of myself, that's a little further down the road, but always good to be aware of when these reports are coming out. And we appreciate the question. I think, you know, sometimes we get a little caught up here. We don't realize that not everyone looks at these reports every day and is familiar with the nicknames they're given. You know, if, if you say WASD, I mean, what does that really mean? So it always helps sometimes to kind of spell that out, take a step back, slow down and talk about it. So we appreciate the question. We're always looking for more questions too. So you can get those to us on Twitter if you tweet at Landis Co-op. Again, you can email us at that podcast at landiscooperative.com. I think that's really all I have for you today, but we appreciate you all taking time to sit here and join us for the Bull Bear Banter podcast. You know, I think this week goes to prove our tagline, bulls make money, bears make money, and pigs just go to market. We want to thank you for listening, and we look forward to talking with you again next week.